Welcome to this podcast from Christchurch London. For more information and resources, please go to ChristchurchLondon.org. Morning, Christchurch London Central Service. How are you doing today? Marvellous. Just to add my thanks to that of David's for that amazing offering total. Uh, I really believe that the best is yet to come for us as a church. And I think uh, it was about way more than the sum that we raised. Our hearts are really involved in this. And I'm just really confident of expecting God's blessing over the course of the next year and beyond. So thank you to you. Thank you to God. What an amazing high point of this term already. Uh, We are on week five of a short series of talks looking at the work of the Holy Spirit through the New Testament book of Acts. And as we have said a few times through this series, we think this is an important one for us as a church, that maybe God is speaking to us about pursuing deeper relationship with him, devoting ourselves to him, and asking for more of the presence of the Holy Spirit in our lives and in this church. And the topic for today is the subject of faith. How can you and I have a sense of faith and confidence that God is going to do in our lives and in this church some of what he has put into our hearts? And I want to start by reading a few verses from Acts chapter 27. If you have a Bible, I would love you to turn there. And just to set the scene as to where we pick up the story. There is a guy called Paul who is instrumental in the early church. Raising leaders, planting churches, presiding over explosive church growth. We're told in Acts 20 he performs extraordinary miracles. But with all of this blessing has come persecution. And Paul has found himself arrested by the Romans and he's being taken to Rome to face Caesar himself. And whilst on a boat sailing from Crete, the boat gets caught up in a terrible storm. And it's in the midst of that storm that we pick up the story. Acts 27, and I'm going to read from verse 20. This is what it says. When neither sun nor stars appeared for many days and the storm continued raging, we finally gave up all hope of being saved. After they had gone a long time without food, Paul stood before them and said, Men, you should have taken my advice not to sail from Crete. Then you would have spared yourselves this damage and loss. But now I urge you, keep your courage, because not one of you will be lost. Only the ship will be destroyed. Last night, an angel of the God to whom I belong and whom I serve stood beside me and said, Don't be afraid, Paul. You must stand trial before Caesar, and God has graciously given you the lives of all who sail with you. So keep your courage, for I have faith in God that it will happen just as he told me. Nevertheless, we must run aground on some island. On the 14th night, we were still being driven across the Adriatic Sea, when about midnight, the sailors sensed they were approaching land. They took soundings and found the water was 120 feet deep. A short time later, they took soundings and found it was 90 feet deep. Fearing we would be dashed against the rocks, they dropped four anchors from the stern and prayed for daylight. Verse 33. Just before dawn, Paul urged them all to eat. For the last 14 days, he said, you've been in constant suspense and have gone without food. You haven't eaten anything. Now I urge you, take some food. You need it to survive. Not one of you will lose a single hair from his head. After he said this, he took some bread and gave thanks to God. Then he broke it and began to eat. They were all encouraged and ate some food themselves. When daylight came, they did not recognize the land, but they saw a bay with a sandy beach where they decided to run the ship aground if they could. Verse 42, the soldiers planned to kill the prisoners to stop them from swimming away and escaping, but the centurion wanted to spare Paul's life and kept them from carrying out their plan. He ordered those who could swim to jump overboard first and get to land. The rest were to get there on planks or other pieces of the ship. In this way, everyone reached land safely. 
Uh, might seem like a rather curious passage from which to teach on the subject of faith. But I actually ended up scanning through a whole load of the miracle stories in the book of Acts. And I think it's this one here, the miraculous survival from the storm, that has some particular lessons for where we are at in our journey right now. You see, in this series, Teaching on the Work, the Presence and the Power of the Holy Spirit, I think there is an inherent risk for us as a church. And the reason is because right now there is a gap between what we are seeing in our lives and in this church and what we are longing for God to do amongst us. You see, when I read through the stories in the book of Acts, I find them quite extraordinary. Angelic visitations, extraordinary miracles, incredible healings, prophetic words that seem to open up situations, explosive church growth, lives being dramatically changed, cities being turned upside down. And alongside all of those stories, throughout this series, we've also been sharing other stories, moments in history where it seems like God has broken in and done amazing things. But if you are like me, when you hear those stories, you experience two things. Firstly, a deep longing. Wouldn't it be amazing to see more of all that stuff in our lives, in this church, in our city, in our day? I know you feel the same. But secondly, here's the risk. Many of those experiences are so far removed from what I, we are seeing right now that the danger is if our expectancies get raised and then 2018 is a little bit samey and none of the stuff we read about seems to happen in our lives, the risk is we get a bit disappointed. Worse still, we get disillusioned or negative or cynical. A whole load of negativity and cynicism with regards to the church in the UK today right now. How do you have faith in the light of all of that? More than that, I imagine there are people in this room right now, and you may or may not use this language, but you have what I might call promises from God. Great dreams for the future, but right now, to a greater or lesser extent, they feel further away than ever before. How do you have faith then? Book of Proverbs in the Old Testament, chapter 13, says this, hope deferred makes the heart grow sick. What happens is, if we finish this series... And our hopes are up here for all that God's going to do. And then we wait, and then we wait, and then we wait. Could our hearts get sick? And we get disappointed, or worse still, negative or cynical. Maybe even we blame ourselves. It's because I don't have enough faith. And yet we feel powerless to do anything about it. That's why I think Acts 27 can really help us. You see, God does end up doing an amazing miracle. There's an angelic visitation of all things. A powerful prophetic word. 276 people on this boat, Acts tells us. And Paul says, in the midst of this storm, you will all survive. That's a brave move. In fact, he goes further. He says, I prophesy, none of you will lose a single hair from your heads. <laughs> Man, I could do with a prophetic word like that, let's be honest. <laughs> Ten years too late, but I'll still take it. And at the end of the chapter, everybody is saved. What an amazing miracle. But did you notice where the story started? Verse 20, we had lost all hope. How do you have faith then? And I hope this talk both inspires you to believe God for great things, but also gives us practical tools to know how to walk into the blessing that God has for us. How do we live as a people of faith? I want to suggest four things from this story. And the first is this, get a promise from God. Get a promise from God. That's what happens here in Acts 27. Everybody has lost all hope. What does Paul do? He prays. Maybe he even he cries out to God. 
and he gets a promise from God. Sure, it comes in a very unconventional format, angelic visitation, powerful prophetic word, but nonetheless, he gets a promise from God, and I think there is a lesson there for us. And here is the reason. Because in the storms of life, it is all too easy to lose sight of God's promises. In fact, more than that, for me, it just takes personal failure or not seeing much breakthrough on the surface for me to lose sight of God's promises. We are not to do that. Let me give you a silly example from my own life that actually has a deeper point to it. On the screen behind me are coming up a list of what the New Testament calls the gifts of the Holy Spirit. Romans 12, Corinthians 12, a couple of places, Ephesians 4. These are gifts that God gives freely and generously to his church today. These are for us. Well, when I was a young Christian, teenage Andy was hungry for as much of the life of the Spirit as God could possibly give. I'm like, God, I want this stuff. And one of the gifts I was particularly praying for was the gift of hearing God's whispers and promptings and nudges for our daily life and for that of those around me. I know we don't always get it right, but I thought it would be amazing to pray for somebody else and share, I think God might want to say this to you right now and for it to be meaningful and helpful in their own faith journey. I'm like, God, I want that gift. Well, one day, teenage Andy is reading this verse in Corinthians that says, when you are tempted, God will always provide a way out so you can handle the temptation. I thought, that's an encouraging verse. I'll remember that. Short while later, I'm in this kind of church service. And towards the end of the service, I look at the leader at the front and I think I might get a whisper from God that I'm to share that verse with the leader. I was like, this is what I've been praying for. And I was filled with this mixture of nerves and excitement. And the service finished and everybody else was laughing and joking and being all cool. I was filled with a sense of purpose and destiny. And teenage Andy wandered to the front, kind of floated. I touched the leader on the arm and I said, look, I've been, sorry to interrupt. I've been praying for you. Really felt I should share 1 Corinthians chapter 10 and verse 10. I hope that's okay. And this leader looked genuinely touched. They were really sincere. They thanked me for sharing it, assured me they'd read it later. They commended me for being proactive and for breaking through fear. And I wandered away thinking, that's not so hard. I am a prophet of the Lord, an instrument for his usage. I am God's man of power for the hour. Check me out. And I wandered into this canteen area and this thought popped into my head. Is that really the verse you've given them? And the seed of doubt got sown into my soul. And I ran to the bathroom, teenage Andy, shut the toilet cubicle door. I opened my Bible. And I was like, please, Lord Jesus, I've not done this before. Let this work out. Okay. 1 Corinthians 10. Let the... There it is. When you're tempted, God will always provide a way out so you can handle it. Oh, no. That's 1 Corinthians chapter 10 and verse 13. I've given the leader the wrong verse. Well, I thought naively the Bible is an encouraging book. I've probably given them another encouraging verse and been used by the Lord, even when I didn't realize it. So I scanned up the text three incy-wincy verses earlier, three little verses, this true story, true story. This is my first ever prophetic word. <clears throat> and do not grumble, as some of them did, and were killed by the destroying angel. <laughs> now, I have met a number of Christians over the years that I've wanted to give that verse to. I mean, if you're in leadership, it's a good one to have in your back pocket. Don't grumble or an angel might kill you. But for my debut, no, thank you very much. But here is the sad thing that happened to me in the wake of my epic failure. I lost sight of the promises of God. I just presumed, oh, that can't be for me. I failed so badly, God would never want to bless me 
and use me in that kind of area. And while I would come to church and pray, oh God, I want to break through fear. I want to follow you wherever you might go. In at least one area of my Christian walk, I like closed it off. I plateaued. I did not grow at all. You know what I had to do a couple of years later? I had to get hold of the promises of God. The way it happened for me was very simple. I was reading through Corinthians again. Got to chapter 14 where it says, eagerly desire spiritual gifts. And I just had this moment. I don't believe a loving, generous father is in the habit of asking his children to eagerly desire gifts that he's not prepared to give. Daddy, can I have this gift? Ha <laughs> ha, no. I don't think God's like that. And it was like the penny dropped. And I had no evidence on the surface whatsoever, but it was like I got a promise. No, I'm to pursue God for this. I am to grow in this area. You know, the main way you get a promise from God is the Bible or prayer. The Bible or prayer. Now, alongside that promise, in the New Testament alone, there are over 750 promises from God to us. Let me read a couple of them to you. They're coming up on the screen. The first is from John chapter 14. These are the words of Jesus himself. He says this, Very truly I tell you, whoever believes in me will do the works I have been doing and even greater things because I'm going to the Father. What an amazing promise. Jesus has gone to the Father. The Spirit's come. So not just anyone, whoever believes, gets to do greater things than Jesus. What an amazing promise. Staggering. Let me give you another one. Ephesians 3. He, Jesus, is able to do immeasurably more than all we could ask or imagine according to his power at work within us. I mean, just for a moment, imagine the very best that God could do in your life and in this church. Just dream for a moment. What's the best that could happen? Jesus can do more than that. Not just a bit more, more than you can even measure. According to his power, not up there, in here. What an extraordinary promise. Now, as I was preparing this talk, I had this deep sense of conviction that I was to stand in front of us as a church today and say this, do not lose hold of the promises of God. Do not throw away your confidence, whatever you are seeing on the surface right now. Paul gets a promise from God, and for 14 days the storm rages. There's no sign of it being fulfilled. There's no sign of salvation coming, but he does not lose his confidence, and we are to do the same. Maybe some of you are going through a storm right now. Maybe it just feels like not much is happening on the surface. Don't downscale your expectations for all that God could do. Immeasurably more than all we could ask or imagine. Believe him for Amazing things. Hang on to the promises of God for the first step to living a life of faith. Step two is we take soundings. We take soundings. Found this really interesting, verse 28. Storm rages for two weeks, no sign of salvation, and the sailors, we're told, sense they're approaching land. So they end up taking soundings. What they would have done is lower a weight into the water. And it would measure how deep the water is. They'd then do it again a short while later. And they could discern, are we getting closer to or further away from land? Take soundings. And here's why this is significant. You see, they get an amazing prophetic word from God. We're all going to be saved. But even the sailors, they don't sit back and think, well, God has spoken. I'll just sit back and relax. No, they get as informed as possible in order to walk into everything God has for them, the miracle God has for them. Take soundings. There is a really important lesson for us here. Let me give you a few examples as to what that might look like 
in our lives. Let's just stick with the life of the Spirit for a moment. Once I got that promise from God, I'm to pursue this gift. I'm to grow in it. It's for me. It's for today. First thing I did in the wake of getting a promise, I took soundings. How did I do that? I started by reading the scriptures. Became increasingly convinced, this is for me. This is for the church. This is for today. I began to read commentaries and other books that taught me about how you grow in this gift and what it's all about. I began to read biographies of men and women who seemingly excelled in areas like this to see what I could learn. If I found anybody who I thought, you are further along than me in this particular area, I'm going to sit you down, buy you a coffee, and ask as many questions as I can so I can learn, taking soundings. I remember once teenage Andy somehow managed to secure an invite to a retreat in Sussex for a group of church leaders from across the UK and overseas. These were guys that had been in ministry for many, many years. Still no idea to this day how I on earth got an invite. But every single break, breakfast, lunch, dinner, just looks like I'm going to sit you down, different leader, and take soundings. I remember one lady in particular. She was from Switzerland. And she seemingly had a really sharp, what I might call a prophetic gift. She seemingly could really hear God's voice clearly. When she prayed for people, when she prayed for me, it was like, only God could know that. It's like, you know, the secrets of my heart. God must be real. So I bought her a coffee, sat her down and said, teach me. I said, look, I'm going to guess you weren't born with this gift. So how did you go from not seemingly having this gift to having this gift? Here's the piece of advice she gave me. She said, I was so convinced this gift was for me that I just began to involve God in every aspect of my life, even the ordinary things. The example she gave me was, if I was having some friends over for dinner, I just asked, Father, what should I cook for them? And maybe a meal will pop into my head and I cook it. And they'd be like, this is my favorite meal. How did you know? Maybe they'd be like, oh, I don't really like this. Maybe I'd get it wrong or I'd burn it. But as I involved God in every aspect of life, even the ordinary things, I slowly began to discern the whispers of the Holy Spirit. Yeah, I think that's God's voice. She said, I still get things wrong now. But as I do this more and more, I grow in my confidence and sense of authority. I have never forgotten her words been a key part in my growth in a whole load of different areas. Father, what should I do here? Is that you, Lord? I want to encourage you to do the same. And not just for the seemingly spiritual aspects of life either, because actually all of life is spiritual. All of life matters to God. Another example from the area of your work. You know, I think it's good to live with a sense of purpose and calling for the future, a sense of direction so you don't wander aimlessly. But I meet a whole load of people who would say things like, I don't really know what I'm called to do. I don't really know what I'm made for. I don't have a sense of direction. You know what my advice is? Take soundings. God wants to bless you and use you. Take soundings. Get some feedback. Talk to other people. Do some personality questionnaires that will teach you about yourself, how you are wired. Hey, in the next week, we have the Living Life with Purpose course run by a qualified psychologist, part of this church, Dr. Michael Pluse. It's full of profound common sense so you can work out what you like, how you're wired, and what direction that you should go in. Take soundings. I remember when I graduated from university. I had a degree in psychology, but no real idea what I should do. But I carried this secret dream of breaking into the media and working for the BBC. One particular job, I was like, I'd love to do that. But it just seemed impossible. In fact, I remember one particular phone call with a lady who was a friend of the family who worked for the BBC. And she said, Andy, don't even bother trying. It's too competitive. You will never get in here. And on the wake of that phone call, it was like my dream died. Faith died. Now, just to say as an aside, sometimes that's a good thing. 
Sometimes it's good for dreams to die so we can get on with what we are really supposed to do with our lives. Silly example, when I watch The X Factor, and I see contestants saying, hey, I want to be a pop star. That's my dream. And then they start to sing. I'm like, that dream needs to die. <laughs> you need to move on to something else that you'll be better equipped to do. But I remember, new graduate, I'm unemployed, and I'm really seriously in need of work. And I'd gone to a job interview in Stoke-on-Trent that had not gone very well. And I'm driving down the M6 motorway in my Toyota Corolla Charisma in the middle lane in between junctions 13 and 12. That's how vivid this moment is. And I just start praying out loud, the car's empty, and I remember praying these words. Father, I really need some work right now. And you know my secret dream is to work for the BBC, but I know that's impossible, so please open a door somewhere. Amen. And as I prayed the words out loud, the strangest thing happened. It was like I heard the folly in them. It was like I heard God say, why is it impossible? You're going to take one woman's word for it? If that's in your heart, why can't you believe me for the best? Why can't you pursue me for that? If these desires are there, why, why can't you believe me that I have good things for you? And, I mean, it was literally like my car got filled with the presence of the Holy Spirit. I mean, it was utterly safe, I hasten to add. He's a safe driver, is the Holy Spirit. <laughs> but I was like, I've got a promise from God. You know what I did in the wake of that promise? I just took soundings, sent out loads of applications. I networked as well as I possibly could. First person I contacted came back to me and said, Andy, look, I can't do much for you. I can give you some admin work. But what I'll do is I will make you a pass for the BBC. And early in the morning or late at night, you can come into the studios when it's totally empty and you can take soundings. You can learn how to use the equipment. You can practice reading the sports news. You can take soundings. So I've got a whole load of NAF part-time jobs to pursue this. I'll go in early in the morning, late at night, just to take soundings. And I will never forget the fateful Saturday morning. It was 5.50 a.m. The newsroom is empty. I'm there to learn. And out of nowhere, the doors fly open, and Leslie, who was a lovely lady who used to answer the phones on The Breakfast Show, she runs in, she says, Andy, disaster. I've just got hold of the breakfast show presenter, and he slept in. He's on his way, but he's about an hour away, and we go live in 10 minutes, and you are the only person in the whole building right now that knows how to run the equipment. And so in 10 minutes' time, you are presenting the breakfast show to a region of hundreds and thousands of people. <laughs> well, I wet my pants. <laughs> but God suddenly opened the door. And in the wake of that moment, regular work began to come in, including the stuff that I had always dreamed of and yet always thought impossible. And the door got open, not through an angelic visitation or a lightning bolt from heaven. I just took soundings. Maybe you need to do the same. Maybe you're believing God for a financial miracle right now. My advice, take soundings. Take, do you know the size of the miracle that you need? Have you got some financial advice? Do you know what your budget is? For seemingly the supernatural and the earthy, if you are believing God for great things, get a promise from God, but then take soundings. Let's play our part two. Step three for living a life of faith and walking into everything God has for us is this, we fuel up. Fuel up. Verse 33, found this absolutely fascinating. Paul stands up and he basically says this, look, I have prophesied, angel told me, we are all going to be saved. But you lot haven't eaten for two weeks. So if you want to walk in to the miracle God's got for you, you just need to eat some food. We're told after two weeks of not eating, verse 36, they all eat and are greatly encouraged. Fuel up. And it's just a really important 
listen for us here. And here's one of the reasons. You see, when I look at the life of Paul, I mean, I just find his life, I mean, incredible. Acts 19.20 in particular, I mean, someone's raised from the dead. We're told there are extraordinary miracles. We're told he prays for handkerchiefs. And they're taken to sick people, and the sick people end up getting well. It's just amazing. You know, I think there are few people on earth today that could handle that kind of power. Could I? I don't know. Could you? That's why all of history, including Christian history, I'm afraid to say, is littered with tragic stories of men and women who had incredible gifting from God but did not have the character in here to handle it. And if I was going around raising people from the dead and praying for the sick and they're getting well straight away, it's going to bring with it a certain amount of celebrity. Could I handle that? Could anybody? If we are believing God for great things, if we have big dreams, have we got the character to handle that? We need to fuel up. I learned this very early on in my time in London. We arrived in 2004 to start Christchurch and we're just full of big dreams for all that God's going to do. And so I thought, new to London, what do Londoners do? I thought, I'm going to start jogging alongside the River Thames. I know some of you are kind of laughing there. You're looking at me as if, you jog? No, no, I once did jog. Not, not anymore. And within 500 meters, I am puffing and panting my way along the Thames. I look a mess. And then in the distance, by Putney Bridge, I notice a group of what looked like young, attractive, athletic people. And instinctively, I thought to myself, I want you to think that I am also young, attractive, and athletic. So instinctively, from this puffing, panting mess, I suddenly straightened up and started gliding towards them like some kind of Olympian. And on the outside, as I strode towards them, I'm like, yes, I'm one of you too. Look at me on the inside. Glad you appreciate that. Thanks very much. I'll take pity laughs as well. <laughs> on the inside, it was like there's a small hamster slowly dying. And just short of Putney Bridge, I just collapsed. I couldn't take it anymore. And people were coming over to me. Are you all right there, sir? I was like, yes, yes, once you pass the 30-mile mark, you really feel the burn, I, I, I said. And as I got home, I think I heard a whisper from God. And I think it was this, Andy, if you don't let the inside match the outside, you will burn yourself out. If you try and convince the world you are an athletic God and you don't put in the training, you're going to have a bit of a crash. And in the same way, if you try and do lots of great things for God and you don't spend time with God, you will burn yourself out. And to my shame, I didn't heed the wisdom of those words. No sinister motive. I was just really excited about what we were building. And I just threw myself into church life. But I neglected time with Jesus. I neglected reading the Bible. And after two years, I burnt out. And it cost me six to nine months. First symptoms were negativity and cynicism. And I'm working harder than them. Snapping and getting angry at other people. I had to learn a really important lesson. If I want to walk into everything God has got for me, what's going on in here really matters. I was reading an interview recently with a guy called Gary Haugen, chief executive of International Justice Mission, a charity we partner with, do amazing work with trafficking and slavery and alleviating that across the world. And he said, as part of his organization, which is pretty large, every single staff member, has half an hour at the start of every day to pray, read the Bible, reflect, and meditate. When I read it, I was like, half an hour for every staff member? I mean, add all that up. Imagine the productivity lost, the slaves that could be freed. Why would you do that? Gary Haugen said this, for the importance and intensity of our mission in the world. He 
He said, I find it absolutely crucial every morning to settle my soul in the presence of Jesus. Like, oh, wow, I can learn from that. You're dreaming for great things in God. How's it going in here? And a bit of bonus teaching on this point. You see, I was struck by, in Acts 27, the food that the people were asked to eat to get their miracle from God was actually purely for physical benefit. I'm stretching the point talking about our spiritual lives, our inner world, our character, our time with Jesus. Actually, Paul's like, I've promised you, God's promised. We're all going to be saved, but if you want to get that miracle, eat. See, I think there's a lesson there for us. And here's the reason. Here's what probably most people in this room don't ever think about. I mean, I would consider us, and I include me in this, I consider us to be a young group of people. We are young here. We are young. (laughs) I'm looking above the front row. We are a young, (laughs) young group of people. Here's Here's what most of us haven't thought about. We want you to be full of faith and energy and running hard for Jesus in 20 and 30 and 40 years' time. And therefore, how I care for my body now doesn't just matter for this time next week. It matters for five and 10 and 20 years' time. You know, maybe the most godly thing that some of you can do on the back of this talk, go on a diet, get some exercise. That's killed the room, hasn't it? (laughs) Some of you look really miserable right now. (laughs) Hey, but you need to know, every two weeks in the senior leadership team, we put aside the agenda and we just ask each other, Hey, what's God doing in your life right now? What's the next step? Start of this term, I'm in this meeting and I think, oh no. I think God's speaking to me about eating well and doing some exercise. And so from early September to the carol service, I'm going just short of 100 days without any sugar. No pastries, no cakes, no biscuits, no cinnamon swirls from Starbucks, my favorite hint for the new year. You know, chocolate eclairs, double chocolate gateau. I mean, I'm not, it's killing me. I mean, Dave will tell you, I'm in the office with this small box of carrot batons looking thoroughly miserable. (laughs) And for the first time in over 10 years, I've started jogging again. I mean, I'm doing it at night. It's safer for everyone that way. No one wants to see that. But you need to know, partly at least, partly at least, it's an act of discipleship. I want to run hard for Jesus, not just in a week's time, but in five years and 10 years' time. Do you need to fuel that spiritually? mentally, emotionally, or physically? How do we walk into the miracles God's got for us? Get a promise, and even in the storm, even if nothing's happening, hang on to it, just like Paul did. Don't lose your confidence. Take soundings, read, learn, tool up, ask questions, play your part, fuel up, number three. And then fourthly and finally, and the one I find find most interesting of all is this, swim or grab a plank. Paul has this amazing prophetic word. We are all going to be saved. How does the miracle happen? Does the storm miraculously get calmed like with Jesus in the Gospels? No. The centurion says, you want this miracle, dive into the water and swim to shore. And if you can't swim, grab a plank and kick like crazy. It's like the most undignified way possible of achieving a miracle. Imagine them coughing and spluttering their way to shore. And yet this is so often the way that God works. I mean, just imagine, just hypothetically, imagine there are people here and you feel part of what God has called you to in the future is leadership. I know that's at least for some of you. Could be the church, could be the working world, doesn't matter. Got this call for leadership. Now, I know that you know this, but just to spell it out, the day is never going to come where you wake up one morning and think, 
the day has arrived. <laughs> the mantle is upon my shoulders. I am ready to lead. People, follow me. That day will never come. God's called you to leadership. How do you walk into it? Little step after little step after little failure after little mistake after stumbling your way forward. That's how God leads you into the promises that he's got for you. Now, I do want to acknowledge that sometimes in the Bible there is a suddenly of God, an incredible breakthrough where things seem to change in a moment. We all long for that. But read them carefully because there's substance to them. I mean, the most obvious would be Joseph and his technicolor dream coat, locked in prison. And then there's a suddenly of God. In a day, he's before Pharaoh and prime minister of the whole land of Egypt. But it's not a miracle built on hot air. Even within the limitations of his cell, he's taking responsibility. He's exerting leadership influence. That is swimming or grabbing a plank. It is living with this determination that I'm going to do everything it takes in my power to walk into everything that God has for me. Many of you will know a guy called Bill Hybels. Uh, he's a brilliant leader in the States. Never met him, but he has had a profound influence on my life. I will be forever grateful for his ministry. His church, Willow Creek in America, is around about 26,000 people plus. I mean, it's just amazing. Credit to him for some of the material in this talk. Just presume the best bits are his work rather than mine. I mean, he's just had a profound influence on me. And he told a story recently, uh, of about 30, 40 years ago, 1975. This church is small and in its infancy. And uh, they've got some serious financial problems. $8,000 of debts they can't pay for equipment and venue hire. And they go to God for a miracle. They fast, they pray, they believe God, they, they give what they can, and still they're, they're short. And Bill Heibel thought, I'm faced with the prospect of my dream dying. The church is going to close. And he woke up one morning with this profound sense of, maybe God's calling me to play a part here. And so he thought, what can I do? The only thing he knew to do was what he used to do in the grocery business. So he drove to the local market and he bought 1,200 boxes of tomatoes, took them to the church car park, gave them to the congregation, and sent them across Chicago selling boxes of tomatoes. He said it was hard, grueling, sweaty work. They raised just over $8,000. Their debts got paid and that church got built. That is swimming or grabbing a plank. What might that look like here? Well, I want to reassure you, we are not going to ask you to go around London selling boxes of tomatoes. We made the offering. It's okay. <laughs> but what might it look like to live with this attitude? I will do everything in my power to walk into the dreams for this church that I carry in my heart. Maybe it looks like getting here early on a Sunday. Whether you're on the welcome team or not, I'm going to get here early just to welcome everybody. Maybe it looks like, you know what, I don't really feel like being a connect group, but I'm going to get into one anyway, because I'm going to play my part. I'm going to do my stuff. Rather than expecting community to come to me, I'm going to build it. Maybe it looks like inviting 100 people to the Alpha course. Maybe it looks like I don't really feel like it, but I'm going to just serve for serving's sake, because that's a good thing to do. That is swimming or grabbing a plank. Many of you will know a guy called John Wimber, who founded the Vineyard Network of Churches. I mean, he saw some of the stories that you would see in the book of Acts. I mean, just remarkable stuff. He went for a period in his church, I think it was about two years, where he preached every Sunday, God heals today, there's promises for us, and they saw nobody healed. He's preaching it and nothing's happening. And many members of the congregation, they lost sight of the promises of God and they left the church. Don't want to hear another sermon on healing. Then after a couple of years, breakthrough number one, then number two, then number three, and some amazing stories got told. 
The church just exploded into life. You know what Wimber would say? He'd say, go pray for 200 people and then come back and tell me that God doesn't heal the sick today. Make a few mistakes. Pray and see nothing happen at all. Live with that sense of determination in your heart if you want to see breakthrough. Some of you will know a couple called Mike and Kate Thomas. They were part of the 30 or so of us that kind of moved to London uh, 13 and a half years ago to start Christchurch. They're now in South London helping the Sutton service get off the ground. I was around for dinner at his, and his wife Kate's house a few weeks ago. He's never worked for a church. He's been in business his whole life. And he was talking to me about a recent trip to Turkey where he just saw God do amazing things. He said, one guy came forward for prayer. He had this huge tumor on his head. He said, I just put my hand on it very gently and prayed. The tumor shriveled under his hand. He saw deaf ears open. When the people saw what was happening, they crowded around him. He had another meeting to get to. And he's praying for two or three people at once, and they're getting healed. He said, it changed his life. As I talked with him, I could have listened to him all evening. I reflected on two things. I've known Mike a long time, 20 years. And he's never given up praying. He's taken soundings. He's asked God. I don't know why he is when breakthrough comes then. That's in his hands, not ours. We just play our part. And the second reflection was this, that hearing his stories gives me a sense of faith that I want to grab a piece of wood and kick like crazy until I get the breakthrough God's promised me. I'm going to pray for another hundred people too. Guys, here's what I think Jesus might want to say to us as a church right now. Can I ask you, please listen to this bit. That for all we are dreaming of in God, for all that God has put into our hearts for this church and for our lives. Well, maybe Jesus is saying that he's prepared to get us to within 200 yards of the shore. But he is then looking for men and women who are prepared to jump into the water, who are prepared to say no to fear and intimidation and past failures, that that will not stop me. And I'm going to swim like crazy. I'm going to grab a plank and kick with all of my might until I get what God has promised me. Could that be you? Or are you just going to sit back and hope a lightning bolt strikes one day? Maybe the band want to come up. How, does, how do you and I live a life of faith? How do we walk into the amazing stuff, the breakthroughs, the promises God's got for us? Get a promise from God. We can pray for you today. Maybe an old promise will get fanned into flame. Maybe we'll get a new promise from God. If you want to do it in your own time, there are enough in this book to keep you going for a very long time. Take soundings, read, study, learn, ask questions, research, tool up, play your part, fuel up. You're feeling fatigued and weary right now. You just need a fresh infilling of the Holy Spirit. But then swim or grab a plank. Jump into that water, metaphorically speaking, and just give everything you've got, do whatever it takes until we get the breakthroughs God promised us. Why don't we stand to our feet? Thank you for listening. For more information or for further podcasts and downloads, please visit ChristChurchLondon.org.